Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, June 14th, 2022, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-host for the evening, Anastasia. Lavendar is on assignment tonight, and she will join us the next time. Our next two Starseed Quests to Arkansas are August 12th through the 15th and November 11th through the 14th. Of course, November is the Pleiadian lineup, and August is for the Harmonic Convergence anniversary. And previously, that August quest was full, but we had a few spots open up. So you can still claim one of those if you write to Crystal's at starseedhotline.com for more details. Our special guest this evening is Marguerite Rigoglioso, Ph.D., who will be talking about her Seven Sisters Mystery School course because a veil is now lifting on the epic of Queen Guinevere and King Arthur, revealing a mystery of many levels that holds important keys to help us rebalance the feminine and masculine, relink with the subtle realms of nature, restore our inner connection with the divine, and co-create world harmony. This course is based on the understanding that these great beings, along with others like Merlin, the knights, and the power women associated with this retinue, were real people who merged the lineages of the Essenes and the Sidi Fey in service to humanity. That only now, in this time of great tribulation, are they fully accessible to us as role models for our own spiritual awakening. Marguerite takes an integrated deep dive into the stories that have come down in writing, reading between the lines with inspiration from the divine realms to tease out the true history here, to unfold a fascinating new understanding of the um, clear uh, da, 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 uh, understanding of this truth. She applies her intrepid research skills, her expertise in divine birth, and her own downpours received in ceremony while integrating information offered by oracles such as Lisa Renee, Wendy Berg, Claire Hartsong, and David Spangler. The result is a stunningly clear new vision of the ancient future of Avalon and Camelot that serves as a guide for your individual and our collective ascension. The four-week course starts tomorrow, June 15th, and is available either live or on Zoom or in replay and continues for three more Wednesdays. Her website is sevensistersmysteryschool.com, and there you will find not only the Guinevere and Arthur course, but also pages for the monthly Mary, Mother Mary Love Circle, Oracle Training, and Mary's Womb Mysteries. You can also find her on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds not heard in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one Zoom session available with Anastasia, Emerald, Miara, Riley, or myself. 
Lavendar has now retired from doing sessions so she can finish her book and continue writing for Starseeds. And remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you're going to get a window of 10 hours of power. So find out exactly when that happens by requesting your solar return timing chart. And it takes usually less than a week to get that. So first up tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. Well, hello, Ariel. Good evening, everyone. It's a beautiful evening. We have some news tonight to share. My goodness, things have moving along. There's so many science advances. I'm excited to share with this this with you tonight. Uh, there is a world first that has happened in medicine. Doctors have transplanted a 3D printed ear made of human cells. This is fascinating. It involves a 20-year-old woman who received this 3D printed, 3D printed ear uh, made from her own cells. And it's a scientific development that could revolutionize medicine. In fact, it is revolutionizing medicine. They are making kidneys bladders, all types of organs. They're even working on heart valves. But I will continue about this story. The woman is from Mexico. She was born with a rare birth defect called microtia. Currently, the surgery to reconstruct the misshapen ears of those suffering with the disease affects around 80 babies a year in the UK and about 1,500 children in the United States. Involves taking cartilage from a patient's ribs to make the mold, which is carved into the rough shape of an ear. She had the reconstructive surgery here in the States, part of the first clinical trial to use 3D printing to construct an implant made of living tissue. Well, they carve the mold from, a, from the cartilage in the rib, and then they grow a cell culture from the actual ear. They sort of bake this culture in a warm environment, and the tissue itself begins to grow on its own, filling the mold the mold then degrades. It's the kind of mold it is. It will degrade, and what you have left is ear tissue, pure and simple, and then they attach it. The doctor who performed the surgery said, this is so exciting. Sometimes I have to temper myself a little bit. Uh, the wow. implant was produced by a regener regenerative medicine company based in New York. They announced their successful procedure. The results are set to be published in a medical journal when an ongoing trial that includes 11 other volunteers will be complete. Now, the new ear was made from a tiny clump of cells taken from the woman's right ear, which was normal, and experts say that will reduce the chance that the implant will be rejected from her body. It will continue to regenerate cartilage, meaning it will eventually, eventually feel and look like a natural ear. It takes a couple of months for these uh, organs that they're developing to sort of cook and grow and fill the mold and form themselves. And the amazing mystery about this, you guys, is that the cells know what to do. They know what to do. They know how to stay together. They will assume the form and shape of the organ that they're regenerating. It's wow. got to be the first time that a 3D printed implant made of living tissues has actually been transplanted. They've made them before. So check this out on YouTube. You ought to check it out. 3D printed organs. Check it out. Anyway, the company said that with more research, the same technology could be used for replacement spinal discs, noses, and knee menisci, as well as reconstructive tissue for lumpectomies. The professor of biomedical engineering and material science at Carnegie Mellon University said this is definitely a big deal. It shows this technology is not an if anymore. It's a win. He said, I've always felt the whole microtia 
uh, would, has been waiting for technology, but we wouldn't have to go to the chest to get the materials. And patients would heal one day, uh, one day to the next. They heal very quickly. So the scientific advancement is the latest in a series of recent, recent breakthroughs in organ and tissue uh, transplants, specifically using a 3D printer. Wow. Seriously, seriously, awesome. And I know a lot of starseed might be interested in kombucha, pretty good health product. It's a tea of many talents. The drink is made, as you know, probably by fermenting sugar with bacteria and yeast cultures, with the result being a health-packed beverage. But it has unique properties. And because of that, scientists are researching alternative uses of kombucha, including a kombucha-based wood or using the cultures in a sustainable water filter. But research groups from universities in Germany and Brazil, Brazil of all places, have been researching another interesting use of kombucha that's out of this world, investigating extraterrestrial life. What? What What? does kombucha (laughs) and aliens have to do with each other, right? Well, here we go. They tell us that by simulating Mars-like conditions, this research team is going to look at the chances of survival of the different species in the kombucha culture. The Biology and Mars experiment, otherwise known as Biomex, it's a project, has previously attempted a similar experiment, taking kombucha cultures to the International Space Station. Well, these experiences have found that the surprising power of cellulose, which is tree tree tissue, wood, is very resilient to extreme conditions since the only species in the kombucha culture to survive was the cellulose-producing bacteria. When you drink your kombucha, I'll bet you didn't know it had cellulose-producing bacteria, but it does. Anyway, these results suggest that cellulose is a key component for microorganisms to survive in extraterrestrial environments. And knowing this information will be extremely helpful when studying the origins of life and as a biomarker for extraterrestrial bacteria. Understanding the abilities of bacterial cellulose could inspire films and membranes for protecting life or goods in extraterrestrial conditions. A protective Mm. barrier, as it were. I wonder why more abandoned planets don't have trees, because cellulose does just fine under those harsh conditions. And speaking of space and ETs and such, I'm sure you've all heard this. This isn't just starseed news. It's been everywhere. NASA has assembled a team to investigate UFO sightings. Now, the Pentagon has confirmed the sightings of UFOs over the last couple of years. Um, They've said, yeah, it's real. Uh, Pretty much they're still unexplained. Now, you know, you all heard about the Pentagon hearing and all of that. Well, in response to that answer that the Pentagon gave, which was pretty much a non-answer, NASA is forming its own independent team for the purpose of studying UFOs. Now, the confirmed UFO sightings certainly have many scientists and officials boggled, they say, but there's some that find this outside of the responsibility of NASA. But NASA's science mission chief said that this might seem like a kind of selling out in the eyes of the scientific community because it's controversial, but they said, we're not shying away from this. We don't care about our reputation. He said this during the National Academy of Sciences broadcast. He said, our strong belief is that the biggest challenge of these phenomena is that there's not enough data. It's a poor data field. So NASA considers it important to get to the bottom of what it calls UAPs. You've heard it, 
unidentified aerial phenomena. And if they can, it will be for a bargain. Here's the catch to the story, guys. The study will only be using information publicly available and will cost no more than $100,000. You know, you probably can't find a chair in Congress that costs less than $100,000. That's not very much money, really. I mean, you know, well, a couple of salaries maybe for some secretaries to, well, whatever. Anyway, it's going to begin in the fall and last for nine months. It will be led by one astrophysicist and president of the Simons Foundation for Advancing Scientific Research, who says, quote, we have to approach all these questions with a sense of humility. I spent most of my career as a cosmologist. I can tell you we don't know what makes up 95% of this universe. So there are things that we definitely don't understand, end quote. And more on space. This is exciting. Have you heard it? Scientists have managed to grow plants in lunar soil, which could make longer stays on the moon an absolute reality. For the first time, scientists have been able to use soil from the moon to grow plants. The results are promising enough that NASA is already envisioning greenhouses on the moon. Being able to grow plants on the moon could, in, in the future, make longer stays there a reality which, of course, would have huge benefits for space research. Now, the lunar soil was collected by Apollo 11's Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin way back in 1969. The University of Florida researchers planted it with thalecress, which is a small flowering plant native to Eurasia and Africa. Well, all the seeds sprouted. Now, the plants ended up a bit stunted, but scientists are thrilled with their results and are planning to repeat the experiment. They said, for us, the first message is, holy cow, plants can grow in moon dust. Besides that, we've now learned that there are some things we'll have to know and be able to do better if we want to grow crops. That was the first step in what's going to hopefully be a very long, multi-decade process of figuring this stuff out, and when we get back to the moon, we can plant on the lunar surface. The co-author of the study says growing plants on the moon is the key to a long-term stay. It will help provide not just food, but also clean air and water for astronauts and other visitors. And the timing couldn't be better, as NASA is planning to put a man back on the moon in just a few years, 2025. Wow. If I were a cartoon character, my eyeballs would be poking out of my head with the little springs, you know, going long. <laughs> this stuff is all so exciting. You, you got to see Anastasia's eyeballs. They're just popping up. I mean, this is all big stuff. It's pretty big stuff. Well, let's talk to the ladies in the group. Spain could become the first European country to offer paid menstrual leave. Hmm. Spain's government is considering allowing plans, or excuse me, it's considering plans to allow women to take unlimited paid menstrual leave leave from work. They say it will be the first European country to take such a step. The government has announced there will be no limit on the number of days leave a woman can take. Women just need to give their employer a doctor's note, and the leave will be paid by the country's social security system. They say despite period pain and difficulty experienced by one in three women worldwide, menstrual leave is currently offered only a small number of countries, including Asian countries. Japan, Taiwan, Indonesia, South Korea, and in Zambia, Africa. 
Now, the Spanish measure is part of a package of proposals that will be sent to the Spanish Parliament. The Spanish government also plans to include lowering value-added tax on feminine hygiene products in the shops there, making feminine hygiene products available for free in social and educational centers. Wow. Wow. And in the health department, there is, been, there is proof. There is literally proof, scientific proof, that laughter is the best medicine. The UK's National Health Service is set to officially prescribe stand-up comedy courses to help trauma patients see the funny side of things after a pilot program has proved amazingly successful. Now, this concept was founded by a British comedian. It's called Comedy on Referral and it will allow patients to attend a free six-week course where they will write jokes based on their trauma and then perform them on stage. Psychologists involved says the big change I see in people is about confidence. Comedy is about giving you the power to look at your story and use it positively so that you can change the narrative of things. Comedy actually analyzes life, and whenever we analyze life, we get more out of it or think about things in a different way. She says she is conscious of the fine line between using personal stories and triggering memories of past trauma, but Comedy on Referral works with psychologists who support participants with therapeutic writing techniques as well as general practitioners and mental health charity Samaritans. The program is going to be prescribed in various locations across the United Kingdom, including eight London boroughs. That's revolutionary. No, that's, that's really a whole new treatment for yeah. trauma patients. And there's something going on in science that's not medicine. It is about the Internet. In fact, it's about quantum things, quantum Internet. I'm not sure if this is disturbing. It certainly is a big change. Scientists are working on a groundbreaking new computer that will make the ones that we use today antiques. They are using the mysterious powers of quantum mechanics in a way that Albert Einstein himself once thought was impossible. Quantum mechanics can be revolutionary for modern life as we know it. Tasks that would take today's supercomputers thousands of years to complete can be performed in a matter of minutes. But the thing in quantum computing needs another technological breakthrough to reach its full potential. It needs the equivalent of quantum Internet, a network that can send quantum information between distant machines without being connected. And I repeat, without being connected, at least visibly. It needs what Einstein, Einstein called spooky action at a distance. And a group of scientists at the Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands has done just that. They have actually accomplished spooky computing. Pause. <laughs> Pause. Okay. Silence. That's amazing. This team of physicists used a technique called quantum teleportation to send data across non-neighboring locations in a quantum network. Well, up until now, researchers have only been able to send data between neighboring nodes. They've actually made it that far. But the new study represents what they call a prime building block for the future of quantum networks, and the huge advances in technology will come with it. That will come with it. 
quantum wow. teleportation. Just shake your head a little bit, and then we'll come back to Earth. Well, speaking of coming back to Earth and looking at the stars, we've kind of had a theme tonight, but I'll tell you what. Did you hear, I'm sure you already know about it, the celestial show of five planets aligning with the moon. It's happening right now. It's been a long time coming. But this, this June, stargazers are finally getting the chance to see five planets align in the night skies. For the rest of this month, today's the 14th, look eastwards toward the, east, the pre-dawn sky with your naked eye, or even better if you've got binoculars, to see a five-long string of planets. We haven't seen such an alignment in the northern hemisphere for 18 years. Last one was in December 2004. So which planets would you be looking at? That would be Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, lining up in order of their distance from the sun. Mercury will look brighter and brighter as the days of the month pass. So if you're not up for pre-dawn risings just yet, maybe work your way up to getting out of bed while the sun is still below the horizon. So precisely when before dawn should you be peering up at the sky? 30 minutes before sunrise is best. You can check timeanddate.com for the specific time in your area. Now, the phenomenon can be seen just about across the globe. However, if you're living in a latitude further north than New York, it will be difficult to spot Mercury before the sun rises. Still, there will be four other beautiful planets to investigate. Stargazers around the world who've been keeping an eye on the alignment are in for an extra special sight on June 24th. Mark that. On that morning, the waning crescent moon will be in alignment between Venus and Mars. Spectacular. Oh, and Mercury is going to look brighter than it has all this month. What a show. Wow. You know, it's June. June is beautiful. I wanted to share this quote with you. It was June, and the world smelled of roses. The sunshine was like powdered gold over the grassy hillside. Wow. It wasn't just a few months ago. We were battling the winter and the cold. Everything was gray. Nothing was growing outside. Everyone was depressed. And along comes June. Lovely, perfect time of the year. It's a time in life when we can celebrate existence. And I have another quote for you. You know, we struggle in our age. Things are complex, troubling. Yikes, what a time. Straddling so many problems and difficulties, so many things in our lives, so much existential uh, difficulties right now, people wondering why they're here, what is life all about. Well, did you know that the meaning of life is to give your own life meaning? And there's not a better time than June to do that. Get out into nature. Get connected with the grass, with the consciousness of life. Celebrate this time. Soak up the sun. Enjoy the night skies. Be happy. And you beautiful starseed, you know, you're all a part of the future. What's coming? As you see, you know, the difficulties that we face and the problems and the state of people's minds. And then I bring you news about the tremendous advances and the wonderful things that people are doing for each other and the difference that each one of us can make. What an exciting time to bring all your light and your love and your talents and your ability, your genetic capacities, you know, into the world. Sometimes we're so eager to leave, you know, we want to get off this planet. And yet, really, I happen to think, my personal opinion, is we are born to be here. 
and to, to assist it and to make it what it is, what it is, to clean up our act as human beings so that the earth can shine in all of her brightness and glory. Because when you look out your window and you see all of that wonderful nature, it's perfect. So my advice for the next couple of weeks, experience some perfection out in nature with your flowers, with the birds. Be out there and let it fill you up. It will nurture your soul and give you courage and strength. From my heart to each one of you, much love. Thank you for having me with you tonight, Arielle. Really appreciate the opportunity. Great stories tonight. Thank you so much, Anastasia. And we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Okay. Good night, everybody. Okay. Good night. Okay. And now I am going to get Marguerite's mic open. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Arielle. Great to be here again. Well, it's good to have you back, especially with such an exciting um, thing that you've got coming up here. I love the title, Seven Sisters Mystery School. Uh, And this is just, it's going to be fabulous. So tell us, uh, how did you decide or come up with this idea? Has this been uh, developing for a long time? You mean for Seven Sisters Mystery School or for my course yeah. on Guinevere and Arthur? Oh, yeah. Well, I founded Seven Sisters Mystery School in 2012. So as of this um, recording, 10 years ago. And I knew that I was creating um, an esoteric school that could house many of the things that I had already been teaching and would be teaching in the future, as well as my guidance and counseling of others, Um, but I needed a name for it, and in the shower came Seven Sisters Mystery School because of all of the connectivity that I'd had through my research and through my own oracle states with the Pleiades as the Seven Sisters or the Seven Starseed Mothers of the World. So that's something I had been looking at extensively. And it all came together as sort of the right umbrella for everything that I was doing. Um, In other words, everything that I do at Seven Sisters Mystery School is kind of imbued with a Pleiadian feminine energy for the purposes of assisting humanity in opening our hearts and our consciousness. Wow. So so now I got a better um, idea of this mystery school there's all different kinds of um things that are like if you want to call them courses or um trains of thought lines of of research that can all come under this so yes um now did the the the, the queen guinevere and king arthur um when did that start becoming part of this yeah well you know 10 years ago when i started the school I was already publishing my work on divine birth as an actual bona fide practice of holy women whose purpose was to bring avatars or high beings to the planet to help humanity um, readvance itself and come out of the trough of (laughs) negativity and trouble that had been upon the planet. So in my studies on divine birth, I realized there was a wide network of divine birth priestesses throughout time. 
all over the planet. My focus was on divine birth in ancient Greece. And with that, discovering that the Pleiades were seven virgin mothers of humanity. So they have this divine birth process and practice associated with them. Of course, right on the heels of that, I understood then Mother Mary in a new context, that she was part of these priestesshoods. She was not the only actor in this practice. And then fairly shortly after that, um, so, you know, I completed that work on divine birth in 2007 and have basically been writing and teaching about it ever since as one of the main parts of what I talk about and teach about. But I discovered that in the Arthurian legends, there were tremendous divine birth stories that had not really been understood fully and not really integrated into our metabolizing of what these, you know, what Arthur and Avalon were all about. And so that's why my new course, which you mentioned, is starting tomorrow as of this recording on Tuesday or Wednesday, June 15th, but will be available indefinitely through on-demand replay. Um, That course, Heal Yourself in Our World by Reclaiming Guinevere, Arthur, the Fae, or the Fairies, and the Round Table, um, has emerged from that understanding of divine birth, the women associated with it, what it's all about, and how all of this connects in with the Christ Sophia consciousness that so many of us are awakening back into as a means of personal spiritual development and ascension, if you will, and planetary healing and reclamation. Wow. I mean, I have, I mean, personally, I think I have a lot of records in England. So naturally the, you know, the, the King Arthur, that whole story has been fascinating. Uh, and I yeah. want to know more. Exactly. Well, you know, so much has been written about King Arthur, Guinevere, um, and, and the other personages associated with, with their lineages. Um, and some of it, you know, is, are the early legends. Some of it are the medieval histories. Some of it are then later poetic renderings, and then some of it are other extrapolations um, into contemporary times, myths of Avalon and so forth. And so there are also, as you mentioned earlier, oracle people who are discovering much more about these great beings. They've written about them as well. And what I have to offer is to sort of consolidate some of the more mystical teachings about Arthur Guinevere and that history and and helping us to understand how divine birth is connected into it and what this means for us, how these um, people, these beings are connected into interdimensional realities that we need to connect back up with now related to ancient Essene lineages, ancient fairy and she lineages, and, you know, our ancient star being ancestors, as well as hidden and veiled histories on the planet. And again, 
the divine birth practice is a very big part of that because we're going to look at the conceptions of all of these major figures and how it is that such elevated beings could have come to the planet through this divine birth practice. We're also going to be looking not just, you know, intellectually, philosophically, but we're going to be looking at the implications of these mystical teachings for our own lives. What does the Arthur Guinevere story tell us about the healthy hieros gamos or sacred marriage template in our world and in our relationships and and what process can we use to help bring that back into our realities and on our planet? Um, what is the grail and how we can work with that tool to connect more deeply with our inner divinity? What is the round table and how can we use that tool um, to help create unity in our lives and on the planet? And then what are the fairies? What are the fae? How are they related to this great tradition and lineage? And what do they mean for us today? How are all of us connected to fairy DNA? And how do we sort of pluck that like a harp string to enhance our own lives? So these are some of the things we're going to be experiencing in the class in addition to all of this other sort of mind-opening information. So, I, I mean, I've heard um, stories, read books and movies. Um, what would you say are some of the most common misconceptions about well, the, you know, the yeah. legend of, of Arthur and Guinevere? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, that that Arthur was exclusively a warlord. Um, it's clear that he was much more than that. He really was, was a mystical priest king. That's one thing. Um, the misconception that Guinevere was sort of um, a shadowy nobody who really created nothing but trouble for Avalon. And we're going to be really digging under that to discern intuitively who Guinevere was and is and shall be in the way that we've been doing the reclamation now of Mary Magdalene, for example. So the big question will come up, was Guinevere happily partnered with Arthur in the original template of this situation you know why are we told that she had dastardly intrigues with Mordred or um, sort of these passionate (laughs) kinds of stories with Lancelot was that an intrusion into her story right so those are some Mm -hmm. of the major things that we're going to be looking at Kind of in the same way that, um, that Mary Magdalene was was denounced, exactly. Um, you exactly. know, by organized religion. Uh, so you're organized saying the religion. same. So the same kind of mm-hmm. pattern um, 
you know, everybody's like, oh, yeah, Guinevere and, and Lancelot. And it's like, I don't know if that's really, I mean, a, a person of of um, nobility, you would think that that couldn't be true. But, you know, Hollywood and all that, they they got to have, you know, right. intrigue in, in the movies. So, right. yeah, I was just, just wanting to know any other um, misconceptions or um, misdirections in the story that most people think they know. Yeah, I mean, you know, those are those are the two major ones because what what we're doing is we are restoring the wholeness of the Arthur Guinevere template really on the interdimensional planes as as this goes back to the star lineages and the star origins and the star peoples, um, you know, that came through the British Isles. And so um, there's a lot of, there are many esoteric levels by which to understand this story and reclaim it. Because when we reclaim these stories and sort of brush off the sort of lower vibrational energies that have been attached to them, we increase the vibration of our own lives and our own planet. And so um, it's not about um, repressing sexuality or that type of thing, but it's like looking at what does a healthy sacred marriage between a man and a woman who is really in their exalted state look like, feel like, you know, it's what most of us so deeply um, desire. You know, those of us who, who are heterosexual and even those of us who are not, we are, we are desiring that kind of sacred union, a, a happy sacred union, one that is not fraught with um, extraneous temptations and betrayals and, and all of that type of thing, but... but is based in a satisfying love relationship that that is connected to the the Christos Sophia. What would that feel like? What would that look like? That's what we're going to be about in this course as part of it. So you you mentioned um, um, ascension on two levels, you know, as a collective and as individuals. So how does that, um, you know, the uh, information, understanding, and, and um, things that you're putting in this Guinevere Arthur course, um, how, does that, how does that work? Right. So, uh, did, did I ask that correctly? Yeah. So, okay. of course, like everything we do is on the individual and the collective level, Right what we do as individuals affects the collective and what goes on in the collective affects us as individuals. So this class is all about starting from the point of our own hearts, you know, our own wombs, our own minds, and really digging in deeply and elevating our energy as a means of getting back into our divine human blueprint, okay, what's been called our divine human blueprint, 
what does it mean to access that DNA and walk more and more and more from that place? What does it mean to release the trauma energies? What does it mean to reconnect with that Eden-type energy for, for each of us in our individual lives? What does it mean to have the open, sacred heart? And so as each person goes about that process, that sends powerful waves into the collective. And at the same time, there is this sort of global reawakening happening now at this timed point in our history to a new understanding of Arthur and Guinevere. Some of the oracles are really um, coming to understand and broadcast this. You know, there are various writers uh, on the fairies, the Matthews, um, Caitlin and um, I think it's John, uh, Gareth Knight, Wendy Berg. Then we've got Lisa Renee as a major oracle who's been bringing through tremendous amount of information about what is really happening on the interdimensional planes with this story reawakening at a new octave. And therefore, what is the massive healing that's going on on, our, on a planet that some, many, believe uh, is really besieged, has been besieged for thousands of years by negative energies? And many of us starseeds believe that this is the time for the throwing off of those shackles. So there's something really key in this story and the processes of awakening to this story, both in ourselves and in our collective that are going to be affecting that great healing and affecting that great coming out of the prison that our planet has been in for so long. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you um, because, I mean, it really uh, started in, in incredible numbers um, in 2019, yeah, I mean, star seeds were just coming out of the woodwork, popping out, popping out. It's like, uh, out, yeah, it's like all, oh, all oh, like crazy. you know, yeah. I, I, I know there's something really important that I'm supposed to be doing, but I can't remember. Yeah. you know, so they end up on That's our website, right. and right. and we help you know help them to decode their their chart yeah. and um, and be. their mission. Um, Love I want it. to ask you, is there um, um, symbolism attached to the concepts of Excalibur and the round table? Oh, um, yes, absolutely. We yeah, talked about I mean, that a little. Especially the round table. Uh, what we're going to be looking at is the round table as um, a multi-leveled technology. It's It's both an external possibility in that when you think of literally a round table at which people sit, it establishes equality among all participants. So it is a symbol of social unity, unity consciousness, if you will, non-hierarchical interaction, discussion, decision-making, and so forth. So if we think of it as a large round table on that literal level, it's already a symbol of unity. But 
Merlin, um, I believe, talked about that, that it was something that could be also carried in your pocket. So how could it be both things? Well, <laughs> um, if you look at it as a multivalent, really like technology, as I'm saying, if you look at it as an inner technology, what is the round table within yourself? It is, it is the inner wheel that helps you come into equality and unity with all beings, with the divine. Um, it, it helps you to establish unity consciousness within your own heart where you're appreciating the diversity that is in the world and you are recognizing the unity that is within that and you are part of that unity. This, I believe, Ariel, is part of Pleiadian teachings and consciousness. Unity, consciousness. That was understood in all of the indigenous cultures that venerated the Pleiades and and or felt they had come from the Pleiades. Unity, consciousness was the main aspect there. And then Lisa Renee talks about the, the round table as also an interdimensional technology uh, by which various operations are effected through the imagination and the imaginal plane, which we're going to be looking at in the course as well. And that I'll just give a teaser about, okay? <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, and do you, how does, how does the, uh, the Lady of the Lake it in what was 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 that a, a real thing or just Hollywood? No, she is in the old medieval legends about Arthurian times, which it is thought go back actually far earlier than medieval into the Dark Ages, which would be the sixth century, the fifth, you know, the five hundreds A.D. period. She is named there in various of the writings as this mystical woman. Basically, she's a priestess who is half in this world, half not in this world. She's one of those dimensional traversers connected with the lake. So she has a fairy kind of energy to her, a powerful fairy queen energy. She appears as as a teacher, as an ally, um, at times of Guinevere, at times of Lancelot. And she is the place to which the sword is thrown um, after all of its machinations and so forth, killing millions of people, you know. She, like, absolves it. She purifies it and so forth. And then she grants it back to the one who is fighting but it's the warrior not this is on the mystical level the warriorhood of of arthur and these knights and so forth is not really just about vanquishing the saxon invaders to britain but really the forces that are underneath that that would disrupt the celtic you know going back into prehistory Essene wisdom. And so it's really about an interdimensional 
kind of warfare where these massive beings are protector beings of our planet. You know, they're saying to these negative forces that are underneath all of this marauding and so forth that are coming from different star systems, they're saying no. They're saying we're from the people of the light. We're part of the shining ones. We don't want this energy here on planet Earth. And that's why some of the uh, legends of what Arthur is up against are really on the mythical level. You know, they're kind of like lizard-headed beings and, you know, fantastical creatures and so forth. And I think that's where the reality of this story lies. You know, this is what, what these men were protecting the earth and the feminine from was the invasion of these forces. Oh, that, it just it rings so true. Um, mm-hmm. And what is what is the um, the time frame when Arthur lived? Right. So historians believe that it would have been the 500s, 500 A.D. between five and 600 A.D. the sixth century. Now, however, you kind of have to go into that. That's on the third dimensional level. If you go into mystical time or mythical time, you may understand these happenings as much earlier, prehistoric, if you will. The place and space of no time on dimensional realities that, that are connected to this realm but, are, but that are beyond it. Because, you know, what is Avalon? Where is Avalon? Right? What is Camelot? Where is Camelot? Just like we ask, where is the Olympic, the Olympian realm? Where is Shangri-La? Right? Where is Shambhala? Uh These are all interdimensional places, and therefore it's really unclear what time period we're talking about. I mean, we could be talking about thousands of years ago. We can be talking about histories that go back even farther than that. So we have to look at all of this with our fifth-dimensional eye and beyond to really discern the when and the where of all of this activity. All right. Well, and, and truly, um, the important thing is that it happened, mm-hmm. you know, and... Mm-hmm. Um, and at at that time, um, you know, and a, a lot of, I mean, this is not, um, this is just things that you see, like, you know, in movies or you read articles and books and things. Um, but it, it seems to me that I remember there was, um, there was a, a um, polarity between yes. the old, the old religion Meaning, you know, things, you know, the the pagan, the Celtic, old religion before Christianity, and then right. and then the new Christianity was that really an issue during their time? Well, what my, what this course is going to do is it's going to get under that polarity, and it's going to suggest that there was a living stream of wisdom knowledge teachings and understandings from the stars that we might call pagan 
or Celtic or pre-Christian that is actually embedded in the Essene and Nazarene lineages that both predated and went into the time of the living Christed avatar. And all of that is part of the same stream. So the polarity is not really between paganism and Christianity in its esoteric way. It's between that living stream and a programmed Christianity that really was the result of negative interdimensional forces. You see? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, that's, mm-hmm. I can, so I can that's totally we, see that. Yeah, because it's like Celtic Christianity was really pre-Christian it, when you really start looking at it. And it's like, well, how could that be? And why were they so Christian from very early on before Christianity really even got there? Well, it's because this living stream of the Essenes was already happening over there, possibly through a combination of that the lineages that came in through that portal were known as she or the shining ones. And then there were also human migrations that came from the literal Middle East and desert places up into those British Isles in a time that may or may not even be historically calculated or mm, provable. But, you know, we have that story in the... um, like the ship of Solomon that's, that's part of the Arthurian story where Solomon, you know, sends like a, a ship, uh, you know, up to the British Isles. And again, it's, it's this, it's carrying the Essene lines. Lisa Renee says that the language even of the ancient Celtic world um, was really from, from, the Egypto-Essene times. So we're, we're getting underneath traditional crusted history, which is often a very three-dimensional, very limited, and very deliberately obscuring of other realities, precisely by these negative forces that have been activated on our planet to hide from us the reality and the connectivity that I'm talking about. Now, I, um, I completely understand. And so this, this course is to help people break through that, um, yeah. through, through understanding, through um, you know, the, the, the things that you're going to be talking about in the course, and, yeah. um, and not the least of which is the rebalancing of masculine and feminine, you know, and certainly just like uh, Yeshua and Mary Magdalene, you know, Arthur and Guinevere, these are um, sacred unions in equality, in balance. And there's there's so much power that comes when you achieve that. Yes, there is. There's so much healing that happens on every level our heart's desire is fulfilled through that because we go back to a memory of when things were in harmony. 
And that's what we're trying to resurrect on the planet now, in our lives and in our world. Wow. Well, this is just this is just going to be a major major thing, and I'm glad that people can, um, you know, come on demand if yes. they you know if they're if they're busy tomorrow. And and you, yes. I think I read that it's a new a new lesson or a new um, uh, presentation once a week for four weeks. Yes. So it will go through the first week in July, July 6th. That will be the fourth week as it's filmed live. But again, of course, people can watch it in replay and then they can, you know, purchase the entire course on into the future and and listen to it at their leisure. And I noticed um, uh, on the the links, uh, the information that you sent me, um, you also have in the Seven Sisters Mystery School um, a, a monthly Mother Mary Love Circle. What is that about? Yes. The monthly Mother Mary Love and Empowerment Circle is something that I instituted um, going on a year ago now. And that is for the purposes of bringing in the Mother Mary vibration and energy, which as you may recall from our previous interview, I've been working to resurrect in a whole different way for us to understand Mary as something much more than the passive maiden who agreed to have her body used almost, you know, mm-hmm. uh, without her knowledge um, and into understanding her as a powerful priestess of divine birth, healing, um, and ascension. And so, tuning into that Mother Mary monthly, the third Thursday of every month, we go through a guided meditation and journey, each month of which I have a different theme, like the one coming up for this coming Thursday, the day after the course starts, is about healing the father wound through experiencing Jesus. Last month, we did healing the mother wound by being remothered by Mother Mary. So each month we have a different theme that we announce. It's uh, an hour and a half, and after we have the guided transmission, uh, we have some sharing, and and those are always profound sharings from people and about their experiences and their impressions. And then I offer an oracle um, inspired by Mother Mary offering, you know, answers to people's questions about global and cosmic matters. So it's a really fun and interesting hour and a half each third Thursday of the month. And people can jump in anytime. And um, it's a very low subscription um, price. And again, that all of these things can be found on the homepage of sevensistersmysteryschool.com. And this, the seven is written out, S-E-V-E-N. And you can always find all of this under online courses, and right now everything's on the homepage as well. Okay, and what is the Oracle training? Well, the Oracle training is something else, which I've been doing for a number of years, which is helping women to access their own 
oracle knowing their connection with their goddess self and their their Sophia wisdom through tools and techniques and processes. And we start with a level one, which is open to everyone. And uh, for, I think, four years now, I've offered a level two. And we just completed the level two this past year. I have to decide whether, whether and how I'm offering that again. But that allows people to train themselves to become channelers, essentially. But I prefer the word oracle to transmit a higher vibrational information for private clients and, if they wish, for the larger, larger groups, be it a, a community group or online or something of that nature. We really need this higher level information coming through now. And really everyone is an oracle, but most of us need help in stretching those muscles again. So that's what the Priestess of the Dove Oracle Training does for people. And again, the level one is available right now on demand under the online courses tab. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody has been trained and programmed to be lesser than they right. are. Exactly. So that, you know, Deliberately I mean, cut I mean, down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the powers that be, the forces that would have us stay mm-hmm. in darkness. Um, That's right. Have, you know, have, they have no desire for people to wake up and claim their power. So, no. um, you know, working in, in, in esoteric fields and help having someone like you that can help um, unlock what's been buried or, uh, yeah. or repressed, uh, yeah. that's so valuable. Yeah, very, very important. And part of this massive ascension or incension, I say, <laughs> because it's an inside job, um, on the planet right now, which is getting really stirred and intensified by all of these shenanigans that have been set forth on our lands over the past two years. Yeah, it's. I, I feel like on some level, it's a last-ditch effort. It's, it's like a last-ditch effort. Yeah, throw everything you and got, the, and, it, and, and there comes the kitchen sink. That's right. And the thing is that they know they're taking a risk by doing that because when they push people to an extreme, people's third eyes will open, will, will often pop open. And so that's what's happening. So it's a race yeah, so against the, time. So the like very how many thing, people... The very, yeah. The very thing mm-hmm. that they don't want is what these shenanigans are actually going to um, initiate. That's right. And I see it every day of the week in my one-on-one client, client work where people tell me, they literally will say to me, well, I woke up in 2019 or I woke up during the so-called illness on the planet or, you know. And, um, yeah, it's a risk that these forces take and it's basically a, a, we're trying to race against time to how many people can they dumb down with their, you know, attempted technologies, which actually in a way are not really working because the human body 
is continuing to supersede whatever's being injected into them and so forth, right? So Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting process right now. So um, is there anything else that you would like to mention before we wrap it up? Well, just, you know, warmly welcoming everybody to go to the Seven Sisters Mystery School website, um, click on the link to find out more about the class, some of the more more of the details. And if you're feeling inspired and called, definitely join us. It's going to be a great group. This class has stirred a lot of interest. Uh, worldwide and really it's because the time is now so come on and be part of this awakening process through Guinevere, Arthur, the Fay, and the round table oh that that is that is wonderful um <laughs> yeah I'm I, I just I'm just looking at a at a text here from uh, on the switchboard from uh, Fiona one of our producers and she's she's thinking she wants to she wants to join up. So oh, um, come Fiona, yeah. you know, because yeah. Fiona, you would have um, the the lineage of this, you know, in you probably if that's your name, you know. And oh you're... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fiona Fiona is Celtic. Oh yeah, well her her Celtic DNA is probably strumming away right now. Because <laughs> you know, a lot of people with a constant, a high concentration of that fairy blood is are going to respond to this quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, people are, as you said, they're waking up all over, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's in droves. There's, there's no, um, you know, w- there's no one country that. Yeah you know, going at a different rate than, than another because, I mean, I do I do sessions with people all over the world thanks to Zoom, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I hear the same thing. And a lot of, of starseeds think that, that they're all alone. No. So I keep telling people, you, you are in good company. There are millions yeah. and millions and millions of starseeds. Yeah on the planet. Yeah. Some have been awake for Very a long time. Ago. Some are just waking up now. Um and, and the, certainly the, the children that are being born are loaded with star markings. And they're that's I right. mean they're part of a new root race that's coming in. That's right. So literally, um, yes indeed. I yeah, know and, and you're you're right. It's all over the world. I mean this past month I had four people from China and one Chinese American woman as clients of mine. I mean, wow, what's going on? You know, uh, we would think. Yeah, well, <laughs> there are uh, there are more Pleiadian bloodlines on this planet than any other race, and certainly the Pleiadians have their allies. Exactly. And as I tell people, that you know, it, the humanoid ET uh, species uh, can intermarry. So just like okay. you could have a you know an Italian father and an English mother, you could have mm-hmm. a you know Pleiadian mother and a Syrian father. Um, ultimately, that's you right. know, going back, that's kind of oversimplifying it. But the Pleiadian no, bloodlines are are rising up. They're waking up. They are. And and they're searching for information. 
um, and and validation. It's like and you know, pretty much people every tell them single that, that person. Yeah, pretty yeah. much every single human being has Pleiadian blood in them, according to my research and the ancient stories. Everyone. These are the seven starseed mothers. The seven mothers of the world are the seven sisters of the Pleiades. Their hmm. DNA created seven lineages that have gone down, and they had one mother who's basically, they are like the seven daughters of Eve, okay? Eve, not in the crazy way that she's been portrayed to us, but as a mother of the world. So, yes, literally, we all have unity consciousness within us because we have Pleiadian DNA. And the same thing about the fairy races, Many, many, many of us have fairy DNA, and we're only just really understanding what that is. And again, it's another star seed lineage, essentially. You could call it the she, the Tuat de Danan, etc. Right? And I think mm-hmm. this happens in many different countries. It's not just a Celtic phenomenon. It's much wider, and it, it has um, physical characteristics that are varied throughout many races and so forth. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the fairies are part of the elemental kingdom, right? Yes, but then you have the she, which are an overlay which are really called the shining ones. They are closely allied with the fairies, but they are like fairies writ large. They're more like the tall elves of Tolkien. They're more like, they are human ancestors. Again, a hidden story. Before our lines bifurcated, we, they, were our, they were us. And then we bifurcated. They stayed in fifth dimension or higher, and we went into third. And there was the splitting of the worlds. So now we're trying to connect back up and get back up into that higher she vibration, okay? So there are many, many fae, fairy races, you know, but the she are kind of like the royalty of, of the fairy land. And they are our ancestors, so and I, I, we're starting to understand I was, all of this in a whole new way. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason I was asking is because um, it seems to me that the elemental kingdom is is really rising. They're get, becoming more active because of what we have done to the planet. That's right. That's right. They're crying and, out. And, yeah. Yeah. So they are. For attention. Um, yeah, they're they're not as um, hidden or silent or unnoticed uh, because enough is enough. And That's right. So yeah, it's, Ariel, yes. and <laughs> the salvation of the earth depends on our reawakening to these beings, because otherwise we're going to destroy the environment. Because they are right. closely, again, as you're saying related to the environment, many of those races, and the sanctity of Mother Earth in all of her forms. So we have to awaken and just understand that these beings are not just um, non-real fictions. 
they are real fictions, if you will. I mean, it's the understanding that the imaginal realm and reality are one and the same. And that we are co-creative beings. And if, if, if we believe in them, they are there. So it's a very tricky paradoxical realm. If you don't believe in them, you won't see them. You won't know of them. But if you do, you will awaken to them and then your life will have much more of a fragrance of joy because they have so many gifts to offer. Right. And I, I think that they, <clears throat> they're, they're, in their way, they are trying to wake us up or shock us to say, yes. hey, you know, you have got to quit raping the earth. That's right. Yes. Uh, That's wow. where we are. Well, mm-hmm. let's empower more star seeds and and yes. unite and um and help, you know, in a in a circle at the round table. Yes. Each of us has a job right. to do to do that uh will take yes. us in the everyone's equal in the higher take us on the higher road yes yeah yes yes so come to the round table everyone <laughs> come to the round table okay so it starts it starts tomorrow what time does it go live yes um this will be um 4 p.m eastern so that is 1 p.m pacific in the u.s um i believe it's 8 p.m gmt but 9 p.m. UK, because I think GMT is one hour ahead. So uh, it will run for an hour and a half or maybe more. If I get on a roll, I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to let her rip. I really want to give everybody good value. And so it, it should be fun and stimulating and really interesting. And beneficial on multiple levels. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, Marguerite, thank you so much for for joining us this evening. And um, oh, you're welcome. I thank you for the work that you do to help thank star seeds individually and collectively. Thank you so, so you, much, Ariel, and please send welcome. my love to Lavender. I'll do that. So um, that's it for us tonight, boys and girls. We'll be back two weeks from tonight. And um, enjoy the solstice, make it special, honor the earth, and we'll see you in two weeks. Okay, good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 